Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Italian American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri. And in this episode, we are really excited to get to interview the Russo brothers. How you doing, Dolores? I'm doing well, Anthony. Yes, Absolutely. This episode is one uh, we were kind of waiting a while to pull together, especially seeing Anthony and Joe Russo at the National Italian American Foundation Gala, which we talk about in the episode. And they gave this amazing speech and they had such a lovely presence. It was really inspiring to see two people who are so successful still be so connected and proud of their Italian American heritage. Yeah, really was. It was great to see it. And you're going to hear about how their family supported them and also about something very special that they're doing to continue kind of supporting younger people in, in filmmaking. And it's really, really inspiring. Italian-American filmmaking, which even makes it more inspiring. That's right. At the end of the episode, we also talked to Michelle Cirillo McAvoy, who tells the story of how she wrote the book My Superhero Grandpa as a way to let her kids get to know her father, who tragically passed away before they were born. All right, so before I introduce our guest for today's episode, I would like to offer a word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we see ourselves as leaders for the entire Italian-American community. We work to protect our great heritage, promote the Italian language, build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, our efforts provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming leaders for tomorrow. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family today. This is Gabriella Maletti, Director of Programs of the National Italian American Foundation, and here is your NIAF in the News. Attention all Italian American college students, NIAF has two great opportunities for you. If you've never traveled to Italy, apply today for the Ambassador Peter F. Secchia Voyage of Discovery. This all-expenses-paid trip for 20 Italian American students will take them to Italy during the summer of 2017. The deadline to apply is January 31st, 2017. And NIAF is now accepting applications for the 2017 year. The applications will be available until March 1st, 2017. And lastly, mark your calendars and join NIAF in the Big Apple on March 22nd for a memorable evening at the legendary Cipriani 42nd Street for the New York Gala. 
Nief will honor distinguished Italian Americans, including the founder of Skybridge Capital and co-host of Wall Street Week, Anthony Scaramucci. For more information on all Nief in the news, visit www.nief.org. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guests for today's episode. Directors Anthony and Joe Russo are perhaps best known for their work on the critically acclaimed television shows Arrested Development, Community, and Happy Endings. They directed the pilots to all three shows, as well as many of the series' signature episodes. Born a year apart in Cleveland, Ohio, the Russo brothers used credit cards and student loans to finance their first film, Pieces an experimental comedy about a criminally inclined trio of brothers. They shot the film in and around Cleveland with the help of family and friends. The film screened at both the Slamdance and American Film Institute festivals in 1997, earning Joe a Best Actor Award at the latter. The Slamdance screening caught the attention of filmmaker Steven Soderbergh, who, along with his producing partner George Clooney, offered to produce the brothers' second film, the crime comedy Welcome to Collinwood. The incredibly successful career in television is what captured the attention of executives at Marvel Studios, who brought them on to helm Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Not only was their iteration of the Captain America universe one of the top-grossing and highest-rated movies of 2014, but it also introduced an extremely grounded naturalism and palpable gravitas that had never been seen in the infamously poppy Marvel Cinematic Universe. The success of Winter Soldier, along with its darkly distinct flavor of grounded storytelling, not only earned them the director's chair on its follow-up Captain America Civil War and the upcoming Avengers Infinity War films, but also established the duo as a versatile action masters and a commanding voice in the realm of franchise filmmaking. And you have to understand that these Marvel films, I mean, there's fanatics on these films. (laughs) And they were able to do like some of the best work ever in these comic Marvel-type movies, which is really amazing. Right, it's not an easy crowd to please, is what you're saying. Not at all. They kind of love their comic world. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. And we'll get into that a bit with them. So with that, Dolores, why don't you give us a quote to bring us into the interview? So this quote is from the speech, the acceptance speech that we just mentioned from the National Italian American Foundation Gala. And this is from Joe. And he says, for all the powerful things you can take away from the Italian American experience, this could be the most important. In your times of greatest need, your family is there for you. Even though the rest of the world may doubt or dismiss you, your family has faith. Before we jump into the interview with the Russo brothers, I do want to take a minute to recognize one of our new sponsors for the Italian American podcast, Nona Box. Like so many Italians and Italian-Americans, I longed for a taste of home after moving to the U.S. four years ago, says Guido Pedrelli, founder of Nonabox. Every month, Nonabox features a different Italian region by selecting six of its gourmet artisanal imported products. In showcasing the region, Nonabox also shares the story of a regionally local Italian Nona along with three of her favorite traditional recipes. Some of these recipes used products from the box. Each box also comes with cards that include the gastronomic history of the region, as well as explanations about the box's products, serving suggestions, and even regional wine pairings from an Italian sommelier. 
Visit NonaBox.com and use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout for $10 off your order. All right, now it's time for the main segment of our episode, and we are absolutely thrilled to have Emmy Award-winning directors Anthony and Joe Russo with us today. Joe and Anthony, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thanks for having us. Guys, it's so nice to speak with you. To let our listeners know, they hear us talk about NIAF a lot because NIAF is uh, one of our official sponsors. But we had the pleasure of hearing Joe and Anthony speak uh, as they accepted an honor at the recent gala in Washington, D.C. And the speech was so moving. You guys really had the whole room in tears. And we just, Anthony and I looked at each other and it's like, we have to have them on the show. That's really cool a great treat. That was a very special moment for us. So we were able to speak from the heart. It felt that way. It certainly came through. So we start every episode by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their upbringing, you know, their family and their Italian-American experience growing up. We had sort of like your classic Italian-American upbringing, I think. We grew up in Cleveland on the east side of the city. We started an Italian neighborhood there called Woodland Avenue. Cleveland has sort of several Italian neighborhoods. It's not the neighborhood that's known as Little Italy, but it's close to there. And we grew up in a big Italian-American family. Joe and I have two sisters, Gabriella and Angela. And we, you know, when we were young, we lived with our great-grandmother, who we called Nana, who didn't speak much English. We had a big house full of relatives all the time. And our family members were all in business with one another. It was very much that even though we had been in America for a few generations, it still had that kind of immigrant family mentality and energy. We got a little older. We ended up moving to the suburbs, but it was, again, it was a very Italian-American suburb we lived in. We've been surrounded by the culture, and we've always been involved in Italian-American organizations, some that are tied to these towns in Italy where family has come from, some that are more about, not based on that, but just a sort of social lodges in the United States. So we've had a variety of ways that we've been tied to the Italian culture. That's great. You know, I think that one thing that Anthony and I have probably learned from doing this show now for a little bit over a year, and we've just been so fortunate to talk to some amazing people and amazingly successful people, is how what you just said, how people stay in touch with their Italian heritage. As successful as you are, you're still involved with things like NIAF. It still means something to you. No question. I mean, so it was emotionally... (laughs) so emotionally important to us growing up and we we're involved in so many organizations growing up. Our dad was, and so we had a lot of fond memories of the sense of community that, uh, that we grew up around and the ethics that it taught us and the sort of collective sense of uh, having a strong point of view on, on what life was and, and how to behave in life. I think that uh, it's important for us then to pass that along to other Italian-Americans and to make sure that, that, that we foster that in the best way that we can because we've been fortunate enough to you know, find ourselves in a, in a high-profile position in the entertainment business, what value is having a platform like that unless you use it for things that you believe in? That's beautiful. I mean, we certainly have had so many conversations about how that Italian-American upbringing does give you this foundation that as you get older, you find not everybody else has necessarily. I think that's one reason why organizations like NIAF is so important to us. We did grow up in a very like Italian-American culture that was local around us. But now, you know, we live in Los Angeles. You have a very gypsy lifestyle when you're a filmmaker. You move around a lot. We don't live in that kind of community any longer. So like having organizations like this or your podcast, things, ways that we can keep in touch with the culture, you know, no longer being enmeshed in it on a daily basis 
is really exciting and useful to us. That's great. So guys, let's jump into your career bit and we'll build up to the Marvel movies. But before we get there, just talk about filmmaking, directing in general. What led you to get into that profession? I think it was a passion that we shared growing up, but we approached it. We weren't the kind of kids like that were making movies. We just loved movies. I think that when we got into our early 20s, a movie came out by a filmmaker named Robert Rodriguez called El Mariachi. It was a very small kind of genre action film. And that movie, we really loved the film. And Rodriguez had wrote a book about his experience of making the movie. And he sort of, in this book, he had explained how he made the film for $7,000. And that, I think, was one of the first light bulbs that went off in our heads about that maybe we could possibly sort of make a film ourselves, that you could actually make a movie for $7,000. Because again, we were in Cleveland, where you feel like you're a million miles away from the movie business. So that made it feel a little more tangible and doable. And that, I think, set us down the road. We started to write a script together at that point. And then we started ferreting out every resource we could in Cleveland about how to make a movie, who knew anything about it, who could operate a camera, et cetera. And uh, eventually we ended up shooting a film that uh, made the festival circuit and ended up being our entree into the broader film business. Well, I loved in your speech, you talked about how your first film pieces was a family affair. And I mean, people in the audience were just kind of dying laughing because it's so Italian-American. Tell us a little bit about that. We started work on that film when we were still in college. And, uh, you know, we obviously uh, were not financially prepared for that kind of undertaking. Our father lent us a great deal of support, emotionally and financially. We we're trying to be as um, respectful as we could about the money that we spent because uh, making a movie is that cheap or wasn't cheap at that time. You had to buy a film was expensive. Film cost was expensive. Now everything's digital and much cheaper. Renting the cameras and the equipment, everything had a cost assigned to it. In order to, to defray costs, you can use a lot of uh, elbow grease and blood, sweat, and tears. Our family got behind us in a big way, and people were volunteering to work on the crew. People were volunteering to appear in the movie. Our mother and sisters were catering, so they were cooking uh, big pots of pasta every night <laughs> for the crew. So it was really every facet of the project was being filled by people who were in our family who were donating their time uh, to help us get the project made. They all went with us up to the Slam Dance Film Festival when we got in 1997, I believe. We probably had 40 Russos up there plastering <laughs> the town with That's posters, to trying to, exactly, hustling to get people in the theater. We all had T-shirts. We all had T-shirts. <laughs> we had a bar that, uh, that we rented out where we cooked uh, some pasta and, and sort of hosted a, a dinner for the movie. And we, we sold out four generations of yeah. Russos. As you guys say that, I'm thinking, I'm sure Dolores is thinking, and I'm sure our listeners are thinking about similar situations in their family. Even it could be like your kid's first baseball game, and there's like 35 Fasanos in the audience. <laughs> and the police are, so true. This is a big part of life. You know, you stick together, which is great. So just building on that a little bit, talk about, you said your father was very supportive of you guys, but just talk about when you initially decided to go into that role to be a filmmaker? Was it something that your family was, this is great, we're going to support you? Was it something like, well, what made you want to do that? I'm just curious. Well, it was, you know, Joe started go moving into that area first. He, after we finished undergrad, Joe went to graduate school for drama, Masters of Fine Arts and Drama, and he started acting. And I think when he went down that road, 
you know, our dad sort of gave him the talk of like, well, you better be prepared to, you're going to have limited prospects for employment and that, you know, with that kind of a profession and yeah, exactly. And you're like, you better be ready for that. And Joe, you know, told him that he was, and it was okay. And then a little, that's about the time when Joe and I started writing together and maybe I started law school at that same time. And that was kind of our family business. Our family business is basically law and politics. After that first year of law school, Things were going well with Joe and I in terms of the film we were trying to put together. I did basically decided to drop out of law school, and I was living at home at the time. And I remember my dad didn't take that as well. He was a little, uh, I don't think he spoke to me for about six months, living in the same house together, aside from the, like, the occasional grunt at the refrigerator in the morning. <laughs> he eventually came around, and like Joe was saying earlier, he became like our biggest supporter. But I think it, it was hard for him to watch both of his sons go into a sort of a business that seemed kind of a little sketchy and then questionable and uh, he made him nervous but i think that he saw how passionate we were about what we were doing he sort of i think he respected that and he wanted to support that in us i think there's a quote i'm not going to remember it verbatim but there's a quote from martin scorsese and he says something like to be an artist in an immigrant family is like akin to being a leper <laughs> <laughs> and and something that was so poignant about what you guys talked about at, at the gala was this whole story with your father. And for me, I'm the youngest of four siblings. My parents were Italian immigrants, were direct immigrants, so I'm first generation. And my siblings are bankers and such, right? Suit and tie kind of people. And I'm a writer and I was always the creative one. And it was hard for me to get them to understand you know, that that's what I wanted to do. And of course, as I'm older, I realize it's because they didn't want me to struggle and they worried that I would. When you tell that story about your father and you dropping out of law school, oh, I could just imagine kind of probably broke his heart. For sure. I mean, I think that, uh, as you said, immigrant family, there's a metric by which you can measure your success and how you've grown since your family has arrived in this country. Our father put himself through law school and opened his own law firm. He was the youngest person to hold a uh, city council seat mm. in Cleveland. He ran for mayor. You know, this was, to him, he was self-made. And I think you look at the arts, it's a very mercurial profession that doesn't seem to have a metric for success because uh, most people who choose a career in the arts end up poor. And it's hard to gauge how your work is received unless you are, you know, at the top of your profession. So for him, I think he looked at it as something that you know, you're still dreaming at a certain age and that uh, practicality needs to take over at a certain point. Luckily, we were born with his chutzpah, his desire to succeed, and it allowed us to cut a path through the film business. It's one of the hardest paths to cut through with any industry, I think, and get to the place that we're at. Well, on that point, I just want to kind of follow up on that because you're right. I think Italian-Americans have that instinct, that work ethic that you just talked about with your father that you guys have taken over. And Dolores and I feel that as well. And I think it's, of course, because of like our immigrant upbringing and there really was no other option except to make it basically. So you had to make it. And I'm sure that you guys directing the Marvel movies today are working just as hard, if not harder than you were when you were trying to get that first film through. But was there a time for you guys where you kind of looked at each other and said, we did it? Like, you know, we wanted to be filmmakers and we did it and you just enjoyed it and said, we did it? Or do you not even have time to do that? <laughs> it's been a long, crazy road. 
I think if there was any point where we did that, it was probably when we won the Emmy because it was early on in our career and it was a good validation. Our father and mother were there at the ceremony. Our dad, that was a metric for him. That was something he could look at and go, oh, they did it. And uh, and we celebrated that night. We all went and had a family Mm -hmm. dinner. I think that's probably the moment we did a check-in. But other than that, it has been a whirlwind of 20 years of hard work. We did have a moment, I think, after Slamdance when we got discovered by Steven Soderbergh, who walked in the theater and saw our movie. He was helping us try and get our next film off the ground. I was still in film school. Anth was doing some catering jobs, where I think after two or three years of trying to get the next one going, that we thought maybe wasn't meant for us in the business. And we called our dad and said, what do you think? Uh, should we just come back and, and re-enroll in, uh, in law school? And he said, no, stick it out. You oh, guys have come, come this far and you just keep your nose to the grindstone, keep pushing and something's going to happen. And sure enough, I think it's six months later, we got the movie off the ground. And I think also what's been important as far as our understanding of like what we're doing and our appreciation for what we're doing, we've done a lot of different kind of projects. We've done big things, small things, things that people have liked, things people haven't liked, et cetera. Joe and I just, we really love what we do. And we, you know, I think regardless of what we're making, we find a lot of joy and pleasure and excitement in it. I think that's really, of course, like the external metrics are very important, like Joe was just describing. But I think for us on a personal level, it's just our enjoyment and passion for what we do and the fact that we get to keep doing it and finding new ways to do it. That's really what drives us forward. You know, every morning you just you're getting up and going to work. Just like yeah, anybody else, right? I mean, it's on a different scale, of course, but it's still work. No, 100%. It's still work. That's exactly right. It is It is difficult. It's hard. And this job has a, you know, like all jobs are hard. This job has some unique things. You know, you could be kept away from your family for a long time when you go on location to work. You work very extremely long hours. It's just the way the, the business is structured. You got to sort of cram as much work into a small a time period as possible. That's how, how the uh, economics work when you're financing films. So there's a lot of unique challenges to it, but, um, and it is hard. And it's like you say, it is work. There's also an excitement and a passion and exhilaration in terms of uh, what we get to do in this job. Listen, if there's one thing we know how to do as Italian-Americans, it's work. So that's <laughs> right, <you> know. exactly. <laughs> Speaking of you know your family and such, Hollywood is not really known for embodying these values that many of us were raised with in the community and, and the values that you've spoken about. So what's it like for you guys being in that world and, and from what it seems to me, possessing these kind of old school Italian-American values, you know, family and, and such? Well, it keeps you grounded, that's for sure. I mean, it's certainly a business that can unground people pretty quickly, but I find that uh, just having our family to keep us in check always keeps uh, us focused on what we came out here to do. We both have uh, wonderful wives, and uh, between us, we've got six children, so uh, they keep us grounded as well, so we're carrying on the tradition of uh, big Italian families. The nice thing about you know, I got married young and had my kids young is that, you know, you're working for them and not for you. And I think mm. that's an important Italian tradition and uh, an invaluable component to the success of Italian Americans is that the focus is taking care of others, not on taking care of yourself. I think that that's allowed us to, you know, really push through to get to where we are. I don't know if we would have been able to push through the same way with, without that. It's like there's something larger than you. Your family becomes that something larger than you that drives you. Without question. Yeah, I I understand that. 
I don't think you can be successful at anything in life without a, a goal. And then you need a motivator to get to that goal. And it's hard to define a better motivator or find a better motivator than family, uh, your wife and your children. It's very difficult. And along those lines, guys, you obviously, like you said, you have busy schedules, you're on location. I mean, I'm assuming that you still work very hard to try to keep up your family traditions, right? Yes. I mean, I think that's critical. We try to get together as much as we can on the holidays. Our parents are very active about coming out and spending time with us in Los Angeles. Up until a few years ago, our sister actually lived out in Los Angeles, was a very successful uh, television writer. She's now back in Cleveland. So we're really just split between LA and Cleveland. So time goes back and forth between, you know, the Cleveland faction, the LA faction, depending on who gets what holidays. But we also make it a point to travel together as much as possible. We just celebrated our mother's 70th birthday with everyone. There's about 20 of us in Lake Como at, you know, a nice villa. Uh, it was oh, a dream. Beautiful. Yeah, dream come true for her. Those are the moments that we target and make sure that everybody gets together and connects on. And we try to do as many activities as we can together. You know, whenever somebody's traveling, they send out the invite to the rest of the family. Hey, I'm going to be here. Does anybody want to join me? And it really is a, a way for all of us to stay connected. Yeah, you make new traditions. That's kind of how you have to do it. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really important. Is figuring, like you're saying, figuring out the new stuff because yeah. life just keeps continues to change and evolve. Yeah, I mean, it's a big part of why we're doing this show. It's kind of to bring those things back to a new generation. You know, we can't go backwards. We can't go back to all living in Brooklyn in the neighborhood as much as we might like to. So we have to find new ways to do it and to be with our families and to keep these traditions and these values alive. Yeah, very much. So we don't want to glaze over your guys' career because it's been very successful. You've had some great TV series like Arrested Development that you won the Emmy for. But in the interest of time, we do want to get to kind of the films and into the Marvel films. And I have to say that my seven-year-old is a fanatic Avengers fan, as was I. I actually read him the Captain America novel book last night on the couch, and I told him I was going to be interviewing some of Captain America's buddies today. So, (laughs) no, but just one question for me is, were you guys interested in, like, superheroes or anything like that before you got into this work, or is it something that you just kind of picked up along the way, or...? We were absolutely interested. I started collecting comics uh, when I was very young. My uncle uh, gave me a box of his comics that he was getting rid of, and he said, here, you should read these. My cousin and I would spend weekends at all the uh, comic conventions collecting books. So when Marvel approached us, it was certainly a a love for and an affinity for uh, comics. Getting the opportunity to make a comic book film is certainly a childhood dream. The emotions and the the energy that you feel as a, a child or the passion that you feel towards material you know, can carry throughout your lifetime. And I think that was something that, you know, was probably 30 years in the making. We have our own interpretation of these characters that we developed when we were reading the books as kids, how we felt about them. We had a opinion about Captain America. I always found him a flat character when I was a kid. I thought he's a little bit too much of a Boy Scout. So we tried to add an element of edge to him and our interpretation on screen. And we used, um, you know, Steve McQueen was uh, one of our favorite actors when we were growing up. So we, we used to, when I read the books as a kid, I would just imagine Steve McQueen oh, that's great. as Captain America <laughs> to give it that edge that I wanted to give it a little bit more bite. So that was our approach, you know, when we sat down with Chris Evans to talk about how we we're going to portray the character moving forward. We talked about Steve McQueen with him. Well, people are loving it for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the cool thing about this is that you were fans of comic books and now you're having this opportunity to, in some ways, shape the way people see these characters. And like you said, you're adding a little bit of an edge to them, which I think is cool. And from what I've read about Marvel, obviously, I mean, they were really thrilled with the way you guys did in the first movie. And they even said, like, it was guys kind of portrayed things in a way that was just different. It hadn't been done like that before, which is really cool. How has it been just like being on set and, and being involved with these movies based on, you know, all of your experience to date? I mean, how is it? How is it being involved with these movies? I mean, I, I know it's a lot of work. Like you said, the ability for a Marvel to approach you is kind of like a wow. But now that you've gotten into it, is it just as amazing as it sounds? <laughs> Bringing alive your boyhood, you know, passion. One thing, again, like in the spirit of like our Italian-American upbringing, like Joe and I have always tried to create a very family atmosphere on set. That's a thing that we've done throughout our careers is, you know, we like everybody to feel very welcomed and involved and open in the process. We have this phrase, we always say best idea wins. And it's like we will take ideas from anybody on set. We like people to be engaged, to be making the movie with us. And Marvel is, has a, a very similar energy to it. I mean, we feel very close to everybody at Marvel. We have an amazing working experience here. It's a very open process, a very easy process. It's, you know, easiest studio we've ever worked with by far. Yeah, it's a wonderful working environment. And I think because these actors are sort of performing in these movies year after year, Robert Downey Jr. started in the first movie, I think it's eight or nine years ago now, that first Iron Man which, by the way, is a movie that Joe and I really loved and was a part of our process of coming to, to Marvel movies was certainly certainly that that movie in particular and some of the movies that had preceded our involvement with the Marvel Studios run. Marvel's a wonderful place to work, and we're very, very happy here. What did you guys think when you, if you can think back to when you watched the Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when it was first the debut, when it came out? What did it feel like when you watched it? You know, the reason you make movies, it's a public medium. I find that the best part of, of making these films is when you get to show it to an audience for the first time and you get to feel their reaction. The great thing about working at Marvel is the fan base is incredibly passionate and fanatical, and so the reaction can be intense. Just for us, it was it's a real fulfillment of all the hard work that you put into it when you can sit in a screening and people are cheering and clapping and uh, and laughing and really responding to the material so it's a great feeling guys as we wrap up here because we know you're in the middle of filming and you're very busy i'd be remiss not to mention the new NIAF fellowship that you all are a part of and let our listeners know the level to which you are devoted to your Italian heritage and to supporting other Italian-Americans and, of course, how much you love filmmaking. At the gala in October, you announced that through the National Italian-American Foundation, they're starting a fellowship in your names, if I'm remembering correctly, correct? It's in your names. Yes. And what this will do, it's the first of its kind, and I think it's terrific. It will give seven young filmmakers grants of $7,500 each year to make films. Now, the interesting part is it's not to Italian-American filmmakers, but to filmmakers to make movies about the Italian-American experience. 
And to yeah. me, that's the really powerful part of this initiative, because just like Anthony and I put in a lot of work to put this show together because we believe it's important to tell our stories. And if we don't do it, other people will do it for us. And that's a very different story. So do you want to just talk about how that initiative came to be and kind of how you feel about the nature of it? Well, yeah, I'm glad that distinction you mentioned there is, was important to us, you know, and I think it's a, an important part of like how we keep moving our culture forward into the modern age is, you know, the Italian American experience is something that like is important, I think, to many people beyond Italian Americans. Mm. And the Italian culture is something that, you know, many people from around the world sort of tie into in various different ways and for various reasons. It's a very powerful culture in the world in terms of its richness and its depth and its and the power of its expression in terms of what who, who we can be as human beings. So I think it's we really wanted to be open to that idea. We wanted any type of filmmaker to be able to come to the table for this grant, whether they're it's their first film or their 10th or whether they are just starting out in life and trying to become a filmmaker or they're well into their life and the filmmaking was something that they maybe have thought about through the years but never tried and maybe this is an opportunity to open the door for them a little bit. We're looking for people who want to just engage in, in the Italian-American experience and you know, however they define that. So we're being very open and we're very excited. We're looking, you know, we're starting to publicize the grants, the availability of the grants, and we're looking forward to sort of reading applications from people about what kind of projects they want to do. And those could be anything from sort of documentary projects to complete fiction, short films to feature films. We want to be supported. $7,500 may be enough for certain projects, but other projects that may not be enough for. And we find projects that we really believe in and that we think are speak to the goal of the film fund we will uh, look for ways to help bring more money to the table for those projects, for sure. So, I mean, that's basically it. Amazing. I can't wait to see some of the movies that come out of this. Yeah, we same here. That's great. So, listen, that's amazing in itself, the fellowship, but everything that you guys have done with your career is amazing from a couple of young Italian-Americans in Cleveland with kind of this dream of getting into filmmaking to now directing films on the largest scale. Just congratulations to both of you. I can't wait to see the Avengers film. My son and I will be there on opening night to support you guys and to just see the film and keep up the great work. We appreciate everything you're doing. Well, thank you both so much, and they're great questions. Yeah, thank you guys for having us on, and, and thank you for doing this podcast. As you said, it's about telling your own narrative rather than letting someone else tell the narrative for you. So the whole Italian-American community appreciates the work that you're putting in. It's nice to hear. Thank you. We appreciate your time, guys. It is now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted in today's segment, we're going to talk about an issue that all Italian-Americans deal with or will deal with, and that's the loss of a grandparent, in particularly a grandfather. We're going to speak with Michelle Cirillo McAvoy, who wrote a book called My Superhero Grandpa, in an effort to try to teach her children about her father, who she tragically lost, and she wanted them to kind of get a, get a feeling for who he was, even though they never really got the chance to know him. 
So it's very inspiring book and story. And let's jump into the interview here with Michelle. All right. So now I would like to welcome Michelle Cerullo McAvoy to the Italian American podcast. She's an award-winning author of My Superhero Grandpa. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for having me. All right, Michelle. So you've written this wonderful book that's been very well accepted. It's won an award and it's called My Superhero Grandpa. And we're going to get into the book. But before we get into the book, tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up Italian-American. So my father is a first-generation Italian. My grandpa came over directly from Italy. And my father was born and raised in the West Village in New York City near Our Lady of Pompeii Parish, for those listeners that are familiar, and moved out to Jersey when he was older and got married. And I grew up in a very tight-knit family. It's just my brother and I and my parents. And, you know, my father, while was strict at times, was extremely loving and, you know, just a lot of laughs in my family always, you know, macaroni Sundays, of course. Just growing up, you know, really, we were just so close that there was, you know, there were no secrets in my family. Everybody knows that no knew everyone's business, really. <laughs> and, you know, we were all very supportive of each other. My father was a business owner and always taught us that the most important thing in life was education and to just really work really hard at whatever you endeavored to do. And that's sort of how I was brought up. Did you meet your grandfather? Do you remember him or was he older? He passed away when I was around five years old. Okay. So, yep, I met him. And we used to go do macaroni dinners at my grandparents' house or apartment in the in the village. And my grandmother was also Italian, 100% Italian. And she was born and raised in the West Village, actually. So I even met my great-grandmother, who also lived in the West Village. So there was just our entire family was there in New York City, really. It sounds like a lot of traditional things that were done by Italian-Americans, the dinners together, the close-knit families, which is what we hear all the time here on the podcast. So let's move into the book, My Superhero Grandpa. Tell us what the book is about and what made you write the book. So My Superhero Grandpa is likens angels to superheroes. Um, and it's really inspired by my father, who passed away when I was 26 years old, before my children were born. And it was really important for me, for them to know their grandpa, even though they had never met him. And a little bit frustrating, too, obviously, because, you know, my father's dad is around and was involved. And I really wanted them to have a relationship with my dad, even though they could never meet him. And it was hard to explain angels in heaven to a three-year-old, right? So I was trying desperately to, you know, make my dad cool. And, you know, your grandpa's in heaven, he watches over you. And it was kind of like a glaze, right? My three-year-old son could really not really grasp it or wasn't really interested. And then as I was talking, I realized that everything that I was saying about angels in heaven is the exact same thing that you say about superheroes. And they believe in superheroes 1000%. Like there's no question Spider-Man actually exists. And so does Batman, right? right? So I was like, wow. And then so in the course of the same conversation, I basically said, your grandpa's a superhero. And then his eyes lit up. And, you know, he flies around and you can't see him, but he watches over you 
etc. And in that moment, I made my dad really, really cool. And my son was interested to know more about him. And that's sort of how the story of my superhero grandpa was born. It's great that your goal and your vision for it was to make your father known to your children, which sounds like it worked well. But beyond that, the reviews for the book have been great. It was a 2016 Moonbeam Children's Book Award winner. How did all that make you feel? Fabulous. You know, me doing the book was really to continue my father's legacy. And so to have it accepted by the book community in such a way as to win an award was just, you know, it was, it validated the book for me to have that recognition. So it was a great feeling, really fun to be able to put the award sticker on the front, right? And say, yeah, you know, so it's all just a very positive energy and acceptance around the book, you know, which has been amazing. Now, have you heard from other people that have read the book and have had it impact them or their children's lives? Absolutely. Actually, most recently, a mother sent to me a picture of a school project that her son did. And in school, her son, who is six years old, was asked, which book does he like to curl up to? And his project was like a picture of construction paper of hot chocolate. And he wrote, my superhero grandpa, because I loved my grandpa. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And that was, again, just really, you know, made the point of why I made the book. And when it affects children, and you see just such a positive reaction from children, you know, it's a very simple story, but it could have a big impact on small people, right? So um, just seeing that project made my heart smile. And it's what it's all about, really. So let me ask you this, you know, we know that Italian Americans and our ancestors came over as immigrants, very hardworking people. They basically had to be to survive. And I'm sure you saw that growing up. And how has your Italian upbringing, would you say, contributed to your career success? A hundred percent has made me who I am and has given me the success that I do have. Like I said, education was extremely important to my father and he imparted that to us as children. He always said, in life, nobody can take away your degree or your education. So that was first and foremost. And then we were never allowed to be lazy. So even when I was tired and I was doing a million things at school and whatnot, you weren't really allowed to lay around the house and not do something. Like literally naps were just not allowed. And it's funny when I talk to friends that are not Italian American, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, no, we weren't just allowed to lay on the couch. Like that didn't happen in our house. So You know, I think it really made me who I am, which is, you know, everything that you try, you may not be the best, but you have to try your best and do your best. And that's all that you can do. And so that and just always juggling a million different things, you know, never sitting down, always doing something. I'm a practicing attorney at a large law firm in Manhattan. I'm a writer. I've authored this book. I have other things that I'm writing I'm a mom of two small children, seven and five years old. I mean, the list goes on, right? I'm exhausted. I really am. But I'm happily exhausted. And I think, you know, I've been successful and I've been happy. And I really owe that to just a really strong work ethic. Right. You just work hard. That's just what you did. That's all I saw. My dad got up every morning at four o'clock in the morning. He was out the door by 5 a.m. 
Yeah. And when he came home, he didn't crash on the couch. You know, he went downstairs and, and then worked out. I mean, it was just constant. You know, you just worked hard all the time. We talk about this on the show all the time, the work ethic. And I think it's, for me, the same reason as you is that I, I really can't even till this day sit on the couch for two minutes and, and rest because it's just not, it just doesn't seem to be an option. But all that being said, we both know that as much of everything that you have going on, you're not going to just write one book and stop. So my last question for you is what are some things that you might be working on or that might be coming down the road for you with respect to your writing? Absolutely. I mean, I have other stories that I've already written. A lot of it is inspired by my father. I used to write when I was younger and started writing again after he passed away as an outlet. So one of my books that I've written, a children's book, is for young girls to promote their self-esteem, particularly in a society where everything is very social media and intention driven. So it's inspired by my own childhood. I was very kind of plain Jane as a kid and didn't stand out in a crowd and things like that. And it affected me a little bit. I didn't feel sorry for myself, but it affected me a little bit. But I think in today's society, for those little girls that are not necessarily out there, you know, it's a little bit harder for them today. So that's one of my stories that I have. And, and then I have another story written that just really celebrates the bond between a father and son and celebrates, you know, silly endeavors during that downtime. So I have some things written and other ideas that need editing, but are written. And, you know, I'm hoping in 2017 to have maybe a successful year with my writing. That's awesome. And I think it's great that you're you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with telling just fun stories to kids, but it's great that they have a lot of purpose behind them and really a vision to help children out. So I think that's wonderful. So Michelle Cerullo McAvoy, thank you for visiting us on the Italian American podcast. Michelle's website is mysuperherograndpa.com where you can read all about the book. There's a trailer video. The illustrations are fabulous. So Michelle, we wish you the best of luck. And again, thank you for coming on the Italian American podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony, for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We certainly enjoyed our conversation with the Russo brothers. Dolores and I love hearing about Italian-American families working together, supporting each other, to helping each other succeed. Dolores, why don't you take us out? Well, Anthony, just want to remind listeners that they can connect with us via email by visiting ItalianAmericanPodcast.com and clicking on the Join Us tab. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram at ItalianAmerican. We are on Twitter at ItalAmerican. That's I-T-A-L American. And we are on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Adopo! Adopo!